Faith Builders, this is done through Faith Builders, but they have on their website a section where you'll find this, um, this page, and I simply printed off their information there. But Servants Institute is um, designed to give input into the lives of uh, various leaders in Anabaptist circles. So initially it was started for church leaders, but it has expanded into two other areas. Uh, one of those is uh, school, Christian school um, principals or administrators, and then also administrators for nonprofit organizations um, that many of us have uh, been involved with or um, we give to. Uh, I was thinking of Faith Mission Homes would be one of them. In fact, the administrator of Faith Mission Homes is in, enrolled currently there uh, now. So what, um, just the gist of this is, is there are um, five different seminar weeks that we attend. And during that week, there are specific things that uh, get taught. And, and then from that week, uh, all of us go back home and we have a list of things that we are required to do between that seminar and the next seminar. And in between those two seminars, those seminars, there is actually what is called a peer meeting. So my, my group that I'm with, which is all ministers of the church, various churches, um, we get together and we talk about what's happening in our lives, what we've been learning, and so on and so forth. And it does create a bond. We, um, we've developed a friendship that I, I cherish. Part of the things that um, are required if you're, if you're enrolled in Servants Institute is reading lots of books. So an average of one book per week you have to read and then not only read but you have to actually write a response to the book in uh, one, some, some form or another. Usually it's um, some takeaways from each chapter and how you apply it to your life or how you can apply it to your life or then it's a one or two page essay on the book. And so there's a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and then added in there is there are activities that are required from one seminar week to the next, which is about um, six weeks or six months apart. You are required to do some specific things. So um, in the coming one, I have to write a a, um, an outline of how we intend to spread the gospel as a church. So I have to, that's something that I have to work through and, and get approval on. And, and there's a, about three things that I have to do. Um, all of those things are required. So it gives you a little bit of an insight of what's happening. For myself personally, I just want to say that it has been helpful for me. I think I've um, experienced uh, personal growth character and just in um, insight into um, Christian leadership and I, I'm intending to hopefully grow more in that in that area so that gives you an idea if you have any questions I'd be ha happy to to um, just maybe give you this paper and you can look through it um, encourage the other ministers to enroll I think 
they'd like to, but it feels a little bit heavy, and it is, there is a lot of work to it. So I thought I'd give you that update. So that's where Cammy and I were this last week, and um, had an enjoyable time. <clears throat> Came home on Thursday evening, and had yesterday and today at home, or yesterday, uh, Friday and yesterday and today at home. All right, moving into the message for the morning. The title of my message, Young People, is Understanding the Christian Life. Understanding the Christian Life. In, in small print, I have a portrait of the Christian life. In other words, my intent this morning, my purpose this morning in preaching this message is to help us understand maybe some things that we all are familiar with, we all understand, and especially young people, we hear terms, uh, Christian terms, and, uh, but sometimes because we're so familiar with Christianity, we're so familiar with church, we're so familiar with uh, living among other Christians, we, we go to Christian schools for most of us, we, we're raised in Christian homes for most of us, we're we go to church regularly, and, and, and many of us are members at a church. We get used to things like the new birth, terms called the new birth. What is the new birth? Or we get used to hearing things like the kingdom of God. And we get used to um, talking about the Holy Spirit, um, Things like that. And there's other practical things like what, is, what does it mean to live by faith? And so I'd like to just address three of those this morning. And I think this is probably a, um, a, a first in a, in a series. I don't know how many series uh, there are, how many messages in this series there'll, series there'll be, but there are just some things that I was thinking about. And I was thinking back on my own. Um, Christian life and, and my early teens and my late teens. And, and I just realized that there were some things that I thought I understood and I think I understood, but maybe really didn't understand. And how do, how do those things really play into the life of a Christian? So that's the reason for the title this morning is understanding the Christian life. It's not so much a theological message, but just looking at some things that we're all very familiar with and perhaps not really um, understanding uh, so well, or we have questions about it, or maybe we just haven't really even taken the time to think about them. And I want to say something to you young people, that it's not just it's not just unique to youth. It's not just unique to you young people that may not understand these things. Sometimes us older ones forget, or we sort of think we have an idea of what it is, but maybe don't really understand it and haven't, haven't made it real in our lives. So it's, it's for all of us, but hopefully there can be just some, some clarity. I think that's the, the term that I want to put to the message this morning. It's just clarifying what some of these things mean. Does that make sense? I may get you to interact with me a little bit, so don't worry. Don't be scared. It's just public reading, and it's, that's all it is, okay? But it'll, 
It'll help us understand scripture and the subject in front of us. The first thing we'd like to look at, and this is just sort of systematic, there's three things, three um, points that I'm actually going to address today. The first one is the kingdom of God. And the second one is what does it mean to be born again? And uh, the third one and the last one for today is um, the person or um, who the Holy Spirit is. Um, in the life of a Christian, the person in the work of the Holy Spirit, you could say, who the Holy Spirit is and what he is in the life of a Christian. So we're going to address those three subjects, uh, topics this morning, and hopefully we can be encouraged and maybe have some clarifications. Understanding the kingdom of God. What does the Bible have to say about the kingdom of God. And I don't have a, a, a passage that I'm going uh, to read and preach out of. There are a lot of passages that I have this morning. So stick with me, think through with me what we're, what we're talking about. In Matthew, uh, the first gospel, we have Jesus coming onto the scene. And after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and was um, in the wilderness, and while he was in, that, in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan, okay? I'm giving you my narrative of the gospel leading up to the passage that I want to, the verse that I want to read. And it says that after he was tempted in the wilderness, he came back into his region there, and he began to preach, and this is what he preached. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it says kingdom of heaven here. And I just want to clarify that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are basically the same thing. Throughout Scripture, you, 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 and especially the Gospels, you hear those things, uh, being, those two terms being used, and they are interchangeable. Okay, um, so let's not get confused or let's not try to split hair here and say, well, it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're one and the same. And in the gospels, especially the first three gospels, we have the accounts where the same account where Jesus comes onto the scene and he began to preach and teach. And his basic message was repentance because the kingdom of heaven is here or the kingdom of God is here. The question is, what was that kingdom? Was that kingdom not in existence prior to Jesus coming? Or was it? Was the kingdom of God always? And was it prior to Jesus coming? What do you think, young people? You can answer yes or no, or you can give me an answer, whatever. Beverly, were you going to say something? Ah, so Beverly said, I think I understood you. She said 
The kingdom of God was always, but it just hadn't come in this way to earth, basically is what you're saying. Would you agree with that? Does that make sense? She's right. So the kingdom of God has always been and always will be. It is an eternal kingdom, okay, because it is God's kingdom and he is an eternal God. But the manifestation of that kingdom came when Christ came, his son came. Now, another thing that I want to make clear is that that kingdom, which was manifested in Christ, and he lived the principles of that kingdom, he taught the principles of that kingdom, is not the complete kingdom of God yet. So someone says, I think John Piper says it this way, that the kingdom of God is, but is not yet. Like there's there's, there's at, at the final resurrection, when we are with Christ in glory, that's when we'll find or we'll see the final um, culmination and glorification of the kingdom. But there is, there is a sense of the kingdom currently. Uh, that we, do, we do have some discrepancies with Protestants or evangelicals on that. They would probably argue that it's not that distinct, but as Anabaptists, we believe that the kingdom of God is current. And we'll get into that more in detail. The kingdom of God is here, and it came with Christ. There are, there, there are, there's something that I want to um, point out, too, that with that kingdom... With, with the declaration and the, and the inauguration of that, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan was defined as well. Now, what I mean by that is that the kingdom of Satan was, was in control or at least has some authority and manipulation and of this world. Okay, but when the kingdom of Christ or kingdom of God was manifested, it came in stark contrast to the kingdom of Satan, which rules this world or has some dominion over this world. He's not all authority, but he has control here. He does manipulate. So this is what this is the way I put it. There's two kingdoms. You can write this in your notes young people. There are, there are two kingdoms, and it's something that we have to remember because it's vital to the way we live our lives. It helps us understand what we're up against. As born-again people, when we run into the other kingdom, it should be clear that that's what we're running into, the kingdom of this world, Satan's kingdom. There is a kingdom of Satan. It is a kingdom of sin and evil, it influences and manipulates and governs this current world. And it manifests itself in sinful men. Do you understand that? It manifests itself in sinful men. This kingdom is doomed and will be judged and defeated. Okay? That's important for us to remember, young people. The kingdom of this world, Satan's evil empire, will be judged, and it will be conquered. 
in its fina- in, in finality. It is not an eternal kingdom. That helps us understand a little bit what it will take for us to live for the kingdom of God. It gives us courage in knowing that the kingdom that is against the kingdom we're part of will not stand. The kingdom that most of you are a part of is an eternal kingdom, okay? That kingdom will triumph. The kingdom of God is both spiritual, which means it is not always seen like it's, it's a spiritual kingdom, but it is also a visible kingdom. It's both. The reason it's spiritual is because God is spirit. Christ is no longer here demonstrating the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is here, which is not seen, but there's evidences of him working in your life, in my life, in everybody's life that's sitting back here behind you. There's evidences of the Holy Spirit. So it's spiritual, and it's also, which is, is not visible. Spirits are not visible, but it is also visible in because it produces fruit. It produces actions. Okay? Does that make sense? So don't ever let anybody tell you that, well, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It does too. It matters that we live out the principles of the kingdom that we're a part of. So I'd like to just think about several truths here as it comes to... Um, how this affects you as a Christian. I just got to saying that there are, two, there are two kingdoms, and here's the truth I want, here's the first truth I want you to understand. You are either in one or the other. You're not in both, okay? There's two kingdoms, and there's a kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and there's a kingdom of darkness, and of sin, and all that. You're either in one or the other. There is no gray area, Okay? You have to process that. Those are some hard things to think about. I remember thinking about those things as a young person. Well, am I or am I not? I think we go back to some foundational things. Was there ever a time in your life that you confessed your sins and admitted that you needed a Savior and repented? Was there ever a time like that in your life? Okay. So let's just settle this, that you are part of that kingdom. Now, if you haven't, then you are not part of that kingdom. If you're not, if you're not born again, you're not part of the kingdom. And sometimes we, get, we stumble at this because we can act in such a way that looks like we're part of the kingdom. We can have the actions and the motions, and we can even say the words. And we can fool ourselves, and we can fool other people. This is the thing that you have to take up with yourself and between you and God and ask. God, show me, am I, am I not? Our evangelical friends would say that once you're born again, you cannot lose this. Scripture clearly says, and we're not going to get into this, but Scripture clearly says that you can lose your position in the kingdom, basically lose your salvation. You can walk away from God. God never walks away from us, but we can walk away from him. So if that's happening in your life, then you need to understand that there is a possibility to, to, to exit this kingdom of light and enter into 
in agreement with the kingdom of this world. The second truth that I want you to get about this kingdom is that no one can be part of this kingdom without being born again. You can't come in because your mom and dad are part of the kingdom. You can't come in because your friends are part of the kingdom and you hang out with good people. You can't come in for any variety or various ways of acting or, or even a belief system. You have to be born again. And we'll talk about that in our next point. You must be born again. There's a verse that speaks to that. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, and Jesus, and this is, okay, this is, this is the setting where he's, with, he's talking with Nicodemus. We all know the story, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was actually a religious leader in the Jewish system, and he understood um, religion very well. He understood the laws, the Jewish laws, and all of those things. But he had observed Jesus' teaching, and he came, it says, he came to Jesus at night, privately. He didn't want to get caught. He didn't want his buddies to see him. But he came to Jesus and he talked with Jesus, and he was asking Jesus, he said, there's something different about you. Like, I can't put my finger on it, Jesus. I'm paraphrasing here. But nobody teaches the way you do, except that God is with them. Like, I'm, we don't hear this kind of teaching, and the only thing that makes sense is that God is with you. And Jesus promptly says that you must be born again. In verse 3 of that chapter, Jesus says this, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, in the old King James, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, young folks, the kingdom of God cannot be understood and realized in your life, unless you are born again. Okay? The principles, the, the commandments of the kingdom will be of no effect to you unless you're born again. You will be ineffective in the kingdom unless you are born again. You will not be able to preach the gospel of the kingdom. You will not be able to teach the gospel of the kingdom. You cannot have or you cannot give what you do not have. You must be born again. What are the evidences that you are part of the kingdom, young people? The evidences in our life are when we value the same things that God values. We value the same principles that his kingdom values. And I would just invite you to think about the Sermon on the Mount. And Brother Vanson is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. He's going through the Beatitudes. All of the teachings that are in the Sermon on the Mount, when we value and practice and try to live out those things... That can be an evidence. That should be an evidence that you are part of the kingdom. Now, we can do those things out of wrong motives and wrong hearts. But I think, I contend that a true Christian, when they read down through those things, 
will say, that's right. Because Jesus, remember, Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He came preaching the kingdom. That kingdom was a whole other set of ways of living. It was totally different than what people were used to. When we're born again, we understand those things, and we embrace those things, and we endeavor to live them out. The last truth that I'd like for us to remember, young people, is that when you are born again, you are birthed into a kingdom that is eternal, and that is it is a kingdom of light and joy and peace and righteousness and all of those things, that will put you immediately at war. Do you understand that? When you are born again, you are birthed into the kingdom of God. That puts you in the front lines of a spiritual battle right away. And I don't say those things to, to be dramatic or to, to, to cause. It's a reality because we are we, we're opposing evil. And we take courage, young people. We take courage. Don't let that discourage you. But take courage in the fact that Jesus Christ already won the war. And he is able to make you successful in your personal battles. Okay? He has died for your redemption. The Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to live lives that readily war against evil, against the flesh, against things that we want to do that we know are contrary to the spirit of Christ in us, the life of Christ in us. We are at war. I thought about, how many have read this book? How many of you young people have read this book? The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down, David Berceau. Okay. I thought about it, making it mandatory. I'm into reading books, by the way, so. I would encourage you to read the book. There are a number of books that address this subject. This is written by David Berceau, and I think he does an excellent job in defining the kingdom. He actually says that the kingdom of God is the right side, right side up kingdom. And the kingdom of the world is the upside-down kingdom. And then one of the chapters is entitled, You Must Make the Kingdom Commitment. Have you made the kingdom commitment? I'd encourage you to read it. He didn't pay me to say that. The book has been valuable for me. And I, I've enjoyed going back through it a number of times, just uh, reorienting myself with the kingdom so the kingdom of God is real. It is now, but it is not complete. You are part of this kingdom. If you're born again, you're part of this kingdom, and you are at war. Will you stand up as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and fight? Or will you submit yourself to the pressures of this world or whatever it is? Remember that when we do that, we have the real potential of leaving the kingdom of light and entering into the kingdom of darkness. 
And remember, that kingdom is defeated already and will be judged finally in the lake of fire with Satan. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light and is eternal and will last forever in eternity. You have to choose which one do you want to be part of. Okay? It's important to know these things because they do make a difference the way we live our Christian life. We are part of a kingdom. The second thing I want to look at real quick here is what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? And if you want to, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 3. And this is the account that I referred to earlier, John chapter 3 of Nicodemus. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And I'll just point out some things there. John chapter 3. That's that's the um, gospel of John. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3, And Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus was not connecting it. You know why Nicodemus wasn't connecting it? You know why? He wasn't born again. He didn't understand it. Now, to be fair, the Holy Spirit and those hadn't come yet. But Jesus was introducing his kingdom. Total different way of thinking and believing and living. Not only thinking and believing, but also living. Nicodemus couldn't understand it. Now, there were those that were filled with the Holy Spirit in, the, in those days, and they may have understood. I think they did understand these things. Um, John the Baptist being one of them, his parents being, being among them. But Nicodemus was not understanding it. And the reason he wasn't is he, did, he was not born again. He didn't have that. And then Jesus in verse 5 said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you're born of the flesh. This is flesh. This is tangible. It's, it's fleshly. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Spirit, you cannot see. You cannot always detect it. But there is a tangibleness about it sometimes that we do pick up on. And it says in verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And I want to point out in verse 7 the word must. It's not a suggestion, young folks. It's not a suggestion. It's a must. You must be born again. If you want to be effective for the kingdom or in the kingdom, if you want to be a light to the world, if you want to be an example to your peers, if you want to teach well those coming behind you, you must be born again. You must be born again. Why do we need to be born again? 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. And then back into Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The point I'm making with those passages is this. The reason we need to be born again is we are sinful people. We are born sinful. We are born sinful. And the sin that is in our nature, our rebellion, our our nonchalant attitude towards spirituality, which is part of our our carnal being, our carnal flesh, separates us from God. It separates us from God because God is holy. God is righteous. And when we have that, when we live in that and we're not born again, we don't have the capacity to live in the kingdom. You must be born again. Before you were born again, young people, and I'm addressing you, most of you, have been born again. Before you were born again, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what it says in the Bible. We were selfish, we were rebellious, and our our sinfulness condemns us. And it condemns us to an eternal hell, okay? I wanna make this clear. This is another reason why we need to be born again. Eternity depends on it, young folks, older ones. Eternity depends on it. There are two destinations for humans in eternity. One is heaven and one is hell. Okay? Scripture is very clear. Those that practice iniquity, and you can go through the list in Galatians and in Ephesians and those, those epistles, and you can find those things. Those that practice those things without repentance and coming to Christ and being born again will end up in the lake of fire, it says, which is, which is designed and created for Satan and his angels. And so that's another reason why we need to be born again, okay? We need to be born again so we don't face the final judgment. You send your sins before you, and they are judged before the final judgment. The second thing that we want to think about in, a, in the flip side of this is another reason we need to be born again is so that we, when we're born again, we're birthed into this kingdom and God uses his people to bring about the realities of the kingdom to this world. So not only do you need to be born again to escape the judgment of God, but we need to be born again so that we can be part of bringing about the beauty, the truths, the joy, and all there is about the kingdom of God to reality here. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
Where? On earth, as it is in heaven, right? How do you think that happens, young people? How does the will of God's kingdom happen here on this earth? Is it just by some supernatural weird thing happening? No. It happens in you. It happens in me. It happens in all of us who are born again. The realities of the kingdom are realized on this earth through you and me. Okay? We can dissect those things. I'm not going to get into the weeds of those things, but that's generally the idea. He uses us. So we escape by being born again, but we enter into his work and his kingdom to bring the realities of his kingdom to this earth. What happens in the new birth process? Repentance and confession are the keys to the new birth. You have to repent and you have to make confession. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance literally means that when you are confronted with the truth about who you are, that you admit it and you turn around your, your values, your attitudes, the way you think, your very mind is changed. And you say, I will no longer do that because I'm convicted about what truth says about me. That's repentance. Confession is saying, yes, that's right. I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. It's agreeing with that and asking Christ to be your Savior and then submitting to His Lordship. That's what happens, the gist of it, in the new birth. If those things don't happen, young people, and I want to be careful here because we can get really detailed here and, 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 and maybe tight with some of this stuff, but I do want to emphasize that repentance and confession has to be part of the process. Not just an agreement or saying an agreement to a belief or, or saying, yeah, I, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. That's not enough. You have to agree that you are who you are and you need him to save you and confess your sins. That's an ongoing process too, by the way, young people. Confessing our faults, our sins is an ongoing process. It's how we grow. What are the evidences of the new birth? 1 John 2, 29, and we're running out of time, so I'm not going to get you guys to read these, uh, but I'm going to read them to you. I'm going to give you the, the, the references and you can write them down. 1 John 2, 29, here's the evidences that you are born again. Everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him, it says. That's in 1 John 2, 29. Everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, we can do righteous deeds, but I think what John is saying is that righteousness comes from an actual changed heart, Okay. Let's not get it confused. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Oh, wow. How does that work? Whoever is born of God does not sin. 1 John 3, 9. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. That's a really hard verse. 
Because if we take that real literal, that means that I'm not born again because I'm sure I have sinned this morning at some point in my attitude or, or whatever. I don't know that I have. But you understand what I'm saying? That's a really hard verse. I'd like to say this, young people, that I think what John is saying is that when we have that seed, the new birth seed, the actual life of Christ in us, we will not, we will not desire to sin. Now, we do sin sometimes. Sometimes there's things that happen. We get tempted, we fall, or we have attitudes such that are sinful, or whatever it is, we do sin. But because we have that seed in us, we are immediately convicted. So the question is, how often are you being convicted? That's the question. Because we can deaden ourselves to that convicting power, or if we don't even sense that we're being that we're doing something wrong, perhaps we are not born again. The evidence is that we do not sin consistently, regularly, and intentionally. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So a person who's born again is a lover. Actually, all this is something I learned just this past week, Okay. I think I knew it, but it was just really good to hear it again in one of the seminars, in one of the, in one of the, the, the classes that we had. The point was made that all human beings are created as lovers. Did you know that? We will love something. The question is, what is it that we're loving, and who are we loving? John is saying, if we're born of God, we will love the things of God, and we will love the people of God. We will love things that are godly, righteous, and good. Is that where your affections lie? You have to ask yourself and ask God. First John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. That's a tall order. When we're born again, we don't love the things of the world. Now, that's pretty hard sometimes because we live in the world. There's things that the world has that we don't necessarily think are wrong, but there are things of the world that are wrong, and we need to be aware of those things. We need to be discerning. Romans tells us to be renewed in our minds, to not be conformed to this world. The attitudes, the actions, the things of this world. If you're born again, if we're born again, then the things of this world will not be the things we're going to gravitate to. Okay? We're going we're, we're gonna to come up against and we're going to say, ooh, I'm not sure that I feel comfortable with that. Somehow that doesn't feel quite right because we have the seed, the, the, the life of Christ in us. Okay? So how regularly does that happen for us? And I just want to encourage you that when I was your age, I wasn't doing so well in that. But you grow and you mature. Okay? But you have to put effort into it. You have others around you to help you do that. Okay? You have to avail yourself. The last thing we want to look at here is who is the Holy Spirit and what does he mean to you as a Christian? Who is the Holy Spirit? And remember, these are all things that we sort of know, we're familiar with because we've, we're, we're, we're saturated with Christianity. 
But who is the Holy Spirit? I have divided into several uh, sections here. I have, I think, three. The first one is the person of the Holy Spirit. And the second one is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the third one is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're going to go through these quickly because time is going on. The person of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God, the Trinity. We've all heard that term, Trinity, right? So there's what? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, correct? Okay. And when we baptize you, we do it in that order. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we say, which is the same thing. That's Old English for saying Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, okay? So it's important for us to understand something here. While it is the third part or the third person of the triune God, it is not that he is somehow separate and out here doing whatever. He is God himself. God the Father is God, God uh, the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. It's all one, and yet they have three capacities. I can't explain it. I'm not that smart, and I don't know if anybody is, but it's there. It's in the Word of God, and it is it's clearly defined if you study it. The Holy Spirit came after Jesus went back up into heaven. In fact, Jesus said, look, I'm not going to leave you here by yourself because they were all sorrowful and distraught. And he said, I'm going to send you a comforter, okay? That comforter is the Holy Spirit, okay? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? We could t- we go to John chapter 16, um, verses 17 or verses 7 through 14. I think I might read that real quick. John 16. Verses 7 through 14. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient... For you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Here's, here's, here's what the, the Holy Spirit does. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, at least in part, okay? And when he has come, verse 8 again, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father... Righteousness in Christ has, is going to the Father, and he's going to convict the world of righteousness. Because I go to my Father, and, see, and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. And I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Here's another work of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into truth, young people. He's not going to guide you some, somewhere false. He's not going to say, oh, this is, look at this wild thing over here. He's not going to do that. He's going to guide you to confident truth. And that truth is always aligned with the Word of God. It's never misaligned with the Word of God. Okay? So when you come up against some of those things, and you will in your life, you're going to have to ask yourself, does that actually line up with God's Word or doesn't it? 
He will guide you into all truth if you allow him to. For he, shall, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you these, and he will show you things to come. I'm going to stop there. No, I'm going to go on to verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So, so what he's saying there, what John is saying there in those last couple of verses is that the Holy Spirit will never draw attention to himself. He will never create some kind of wow thing. And today it's very popular to say, hey, the Spirit is telling me to do this. Or wow over here or wow over there. The Holy Spirit always directs attention to Christ. Always. Never, never directs himself to himself. So in other words, if I'm saying certain things and it reflects on me like it draws attention to me, and I am being lifted up, I am being exalted, or whatever, you can almost certainly believe that that's not of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit always points towards Christ, always. And truth always aligns with the Word of God, never anything else, okay? So that is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. The general work of the Holy Spirit, I have a list here that I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through real fast, okay? So if you're fast writers, write fast because we're going to go through it fast. The general work of the Holy Spirit throughout history is this. He was present at creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the Spirit of God moved across the waters. He was active in the times of the prophets. You can read about this in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 21. By him, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was conceived. You can read that in the Gospels, especially Matthew. The Holy Spirit was in Jesus, and he empowered Jesus' ministry. You can read that in the Gospels as well. And here's one that I, didn't ever, I never thought about, but as I was studying, I came across this. And it blessed me. The Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to give himself to die on the cross. You can read about this in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says this. Who, through the eternal spirit, gave himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience. The eternal spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, enabled Christ to die. For your sins, for my sins. The work of the Holy Spirit today in your life and in the world, He has been given to you personally as a, as a believer. Acts chapter 15, verse 8. He comforts us. We talked about that a little bit ago. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. He communicates the Father's love to us. Romans 5, verse 5. Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. And the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is a person and he can be lied to. Young people, did you know that? You can lie to the Holy Spirit. I can lie to the Holy Spirit. You can read about that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter calls them out and he said, Why is it that you have decided to lie against the Spirit of God? 
That's a study that you can do. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is active in our lives. We can act in such a way, we can do such things that grieve him. And if we do enough of it, um, young people, he draws back. I remember David Jr., former bishop here at Sandy Ridge, often said that the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He never forces you to do anything, but he will quietly say it. He will quietly ask you. He will quietly nudge you. And if you resist him or if you go against that, you grieve him, and he will finally just settle back in the corner. He will not talk to you ever again until you decide that I need to hear from him again. We can grieve him. There's a number of ways we can grieve him, but that's one. We can also blaspheme against him. And scripture calls that the unpardonable sin. And young people, I don't think any of you have ever been guilty of doing that. I don't know of anybody that has. I was trying to figure out what that means. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, Mark 3, verse 29, and Luke 12, 10 talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And the context there is he's talking to the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. Henry Alford said this, and I think I agree with him. What it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is this. It's when we allow ourselves to come into a state of willful, determined position, or opposition to the power or the present power of the Holy Spirit in us. When you willfully go against the promptings of the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again. We blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Esau is an example. That's an Old Testament story. But it says in Hebrews that Esau, after he was, after he sold his birthright, which was a form of the Holy Spirit, is, a, is a, an analogy of the Holy Spirit. After he sold his birthright, he wanted the blessing that, was along, that, that came with the, along with the birthright, but he couldn't. And he was very, very distraught. He sought it with tears, but he could not find any place of repentance. Could not find a place of repentance. And I think if we just follow that through, when we ignore the Holy Spirit long enough, there is, there comes a time when we can no longer hear him. There is no finding repentance, even though we'd like to. That's really, really, really hard things. But I think it's really, really hard to get there. Okay, I don't want to scare you, but I want to be honest with you, okay? I think there can be such a thing as blaspheming the Holy Spirit, talking directly against him, working against, directly against him. What are the evidences of the Holy Spirit? It's been long, and I'm going to finish with this because I'm not going to read this chapter. I'm going to give you a homework assignment, young people, okay? You're going to have to commit to it, Okay? I'd like for you to go home, and this week, in your quiet time, or however you want to do it, I'd like for you to read Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 16 through 26. 
16 through the end of the chapter. If you follow through that thing and you study that portion of that chapter, I think you'll understand that you'll find that there are evidences that prove that you have the Holy Spirit. If you want to know if you have the Holy Spirit, do a study on that last part of Galatians chapter 5. That's the part, in that, in that portion is the fruit of the Spirit and those kind of things. But prior to that, it also has the fruits of the flesh. Okay, so you compare those two and you wonder, you have to ask yourself, well, where am I at? The evidence of the fruit of, or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us in its basic form is, do you have the fruits of the Spirit active in your life? Okay, I'm going to stop with that next time. I'm hoping to address more practical things. This is sort of foundational. I'd like to talk about how do we discern the will of God? How do we know if we truly love God? What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to die to self? Okay? I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'd like to address those things with all of us, I think. All right, shall we pray? Thank you, God, for your truths and your word. Would you now take these and make